All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that our journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson. My good friend Greg Fairn and I are also on this journey of becoming. We are both dedicated to inviting you into our journeys and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey that we all find ourselves on. We want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of our biggest allies. We have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And we believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. Hey, welcome. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Rethinking Faith. We are so glad you're with us. Uh, as usual, I am your co-host, Greg Farrand, here with Josh Patterson. What's up, Josh? Yo, yo. How's it going, man? Dude, good. I'm, I'm noticing, uh, typically I notice what uh, t-shirts you're wearing. I would just say 98% of our total uh, podcast, you're wearing a t-shirt. Uh, no button downs, no sweaters, just straight up t-shirt. And well, I'm not I'm 50 noted. years old, like some yeah. Of us. Well, a fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. I'm just I'm coming out of the gate with that, uh, but also uh, that's offensive and hurtful and and factual. But I noticed that that's true. I, I am a generation. I'm Gen X, and we tend to wear button downs and sweaters. Uh, but your T-shirt, uh, I'm noticing it's a unique one because normally you wear your local brewery shirt where you work. Uh, but that one that says Wyco Street. What is that? Yeah, so Wyco Street is uh, my buddy Jordan. Uh, he just opened Wyco Street Brewing. It is also local, so it's here in Baltimore in uh, Pigtown, um, and it's awesome. Yeah, Jordan was actually uh, the so so Bryce is the head brewer at Full Tilt Full Tilt now. Forgive me, and that's where I work. Jordan was the head brewer prior to Bryce, so that's how I met Jordan. And then Jordan stopped Full Tilt to go do his own thing, and now has Wyco Street. Uh, beer co which is awesome and so i'm drinking a, also see my fancy homebrewed glass um Dude, there, i drink no, out of no this benefit i'm just gonna say there's no you're, you're doing product placement we 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 get no benefit from this i'm just naming the fact no, that we, we get zero benefit but we but it's just because we love it that you are actually doing product placement well this is like this like even if this logo wasn't on here like if i acid wash the glass and like the homebrewed <laughs> stuff wasn't on here i'd still use yeah. it because i just love this glass like yeah, it's a good glass good glass um, but I'm drinking Steez, which is uh, their Wyco Street's um, American lager, and it's delicioso. So any Baltimore friends, go hang out at Wyco Street. It's uh, it's definitely worth a go. And Jordan yeah. is a great dude. So, And he Promotion. does lots of fun stuff. Like he's big into doing like hazy fruited sour IPAs. I'm like what does that even mean? Jordan does it. So go find out. 
Nice. <laughs> nice, yeah. dude. Nice. Well, again, total free product placement, just born out of love for friends and good beer. Uh, but I'm stoked about uh, our guest today. We have Tim from New Evangelicals. Uh, Tim, I was I was talking to Tim and uh, Josh earlier, and I was uh, I, I met Tim at uh, beer camp uh, from Home, Homebrew Christianity uh, a number of weeks ago or months ago. It, it all blends. And uh, when I went on to uh, New Evangelicals Instagram, I was really struck by the fact that uh, I I actually agreed with every post that I clicked on and that is so rare i mean i'm just saying i'm 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 not saying it's radically simpatico across every level but all i know is at this point tim uh we are we are clearly surfing the same wave of theological exploration and our own personal evolution and uh tim welcome man we're so glad you're here well thank you for having me that's really kind and uh, i will pay you later for saying that so thank you maybe <laughs> yeah, in wico street beer nice callback well done greg thank you buddy dude i've been I'm, extra I'm 20 bucks <laughs> extra 20 bucks from wico uh but tim you know one of the things that you know we love to explore here on rethinking faith uh we love we we, we love to interview brilliant people, professors, authors, theologians. Uh, but one of the things that we acknowledge in many podcasts, it's easy to just kind of very quickly get into ideas and the realm of the conceptual. And we love that, you know, both, you know, both Josh and I are total theology nerds, philosophy nerds, but we also know that in addition to the brilliant concepts that no concept comes ex nihilo, it comes from nothing, right? They, the concepts are born of story. The, the, the reason that we're drawn to particular theological perspectives is because of our own journey, our own pain, our own suffering, our own exploration. And so one of the things we love to do when we invite people along is invite them to share their story. But maybe before we get to your story, if, if you maybe would just nutshell what New Evangelicals is, uh, why you are the founder of it, why you started it, and then we'll kind of get into what led you uh, to give your energy, time, heart to uh, this unique space. Yeah, sure. Um, the New Evangelicals is a nonprofit organization. We are a Jesus-centered, inclusive community that focuses on holding space for folks marginalized by the evangelical church. We have three core focuses. Uh, like I said earlier, we hold space for folks marginalized by the evangelical church. We advocate for accountability inside of evangelical spaces, and we help people who want to stay committed to Jesus uh, leave the, the basement of evangelical fundamentalism and explore the house of the Christian tradition. So that's kind of like the three things that we are really committed to doing. And most of that is done, if not, I mean, 95% of it's done online via podcasts, a website, Instagram, TikTok, a private Facebook community, um, an online map people can sign up for and see who's in their area. So we do all kinds of things trying to connect people in a communal way. And then as, as you know, TNE as an organization doing our best to advocate for the folks in our community um, publicly by advocating for, you know, accountability in evangelical spaces and then helping those people explore the massive, beautiful, complicated house of the Christian tradition. Yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. <laughs> How, so I've always been curious though. So like, cause you're doing the like helping people marginalized by the evangelical church. Yeah. But you're still called the new evangelicals. So was there something about that word evangelical that you felt was important to kind of like 
hold on to or reclaim or like what was your thought process behind that kind of thing? Yeah, so it's it's complicated because I started the New Evangelicals on Instagram. It will be two years ago, end of this month. So two years ago, when I was still serving as a drummer in my evangelical church, I st- yeah, yep, yep. I, I started, um, well, I, I shouldn't say I started, but something, I got to a place where I said, I think we need like a new evangelical something. You know, the, the name popped in my head as I was venting um, during the height of the pandemic, watching Sean Foyt do these maskless worship gatherings. And I'm sitting there and I'm pretty, you know, I wouldn't say I was like, um, an ultra MAGA type, you know, I was never that person, even when I was more conservative in my theology, but I wasn't fully affirming yet. Um, I didn't have frameworks for terms like supremacy culture, white supremacy. I didn't know who James Cone was, for example, you know, I just remember thinking like, man, I don't, I don't get it. Like loving your neighbor, wearing a mask during, during a pandemic. This, this makes so much sense. How can people be celebrating someone doing these massive worship gatherings publicly um, in the name of, you know, fighting tyranny? It made no sense. So that's how I got the name. I was like, we just need a new evangelical movement. So I didn't even know a lot of my own evangelical history yet. I mean, I knew some, but I didn't know that Jerry Falwell, the founder, the founder of the Moral Majority, was a racist. I'm just thinking he started it because of abortion. So I was still very much in that world when I started the account. So that was the kind of the original intent. But as time went on, I realized like how deep this term evangelical is and how problematic it is. I thought, well, okay, what do I do with this? But then it kind of hit me in two ways. Number one, I realized that the term evangelical just means someone who brings good news. Okay. And I think evangelicals today in America do not bring good news. So that that's easy to say. And the other thing is there's a really great book written in the 1960s called Discovering an Evangelical Heritage by Donald Dayton. And he kind of goes back to the early Wesleyan tradition that was highly evangelical and kind of demonstrates how early evangelicals were quite radical. They were abolitionists. They were extremely egalitarian. Um, Oberlin College was the first college to ordain women. They were incredibly socially minded and thinking not progressively in the way that we think about it because of our politics have changed, but thinking about, about how the gospel affects societal change for liberating the oppressed, that kind of thing. And I'm reading this book and I'm like, hell yeah, these are my people. I mean, there's a story in the book that, that Donald talks about where a woman gets married to a man and says, I'm not your property. I'm not taking your last name. We're going to have an equal marriage or else I'm out. And I'm like, there it is. I mean, this is like the 1800s I'm reading about these people. So I definitely think, and I, I should clarify, I'm not sure your audience's interaction with evangelicalism. I'm not saying that you have to call yourself a new evangelical or that you have, or that you have to claim that title. I understand very well how problematic evangelicalism is. I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about it tonight. But for me, I'm just too damn stubborn to let that name be totally taken over by by fundamentalists. So this is my best attempt, my best swing, you know, um, to, to try and reclaim the term. Will it be successful? Probably not, but I'm trying, you know. So that's <laughs> that's why I call it the new evangelicals. Nice, man. Right on. Well, well, Tim. So, okay. So that was just a couple years ago, or a handful of years ago, that you were drumming uh, in your uh, evangelical church. Uh, again, just so, so kind of going back. Did you grow up in a conservative uh, community? Uh, what was your kind of spiritual evolution that brought you to uh, 
a, a wake up point or, or maybe, uh, you know, I, I just got to call it wake up. I won't call it enlightened, but I'll just say, what, what is your, uh, you know, which of course I believe, but what is your wake up point uh, in your evolution that, that, that kind of brought you there? Yeah. So I grew up very much in a fundamentalist um, church and upbringing, uh, homeschooled for nine years, went to a small private school after that. I was the only guy in my graduating class of six people, okay, <laughs> in New Jersey. Um, you know, I was early on, I never, I remember, I have no memory of not being Christian or, or in church. Like there's no memory in my life that exists in my brain that says, yeah, you were not a Christian at this point in your life. I was I was brought up in this culture. I believed the culture. I believed in Jesus early on. I made a, I made a profession to faith. Got baptized. I did a wana. I, I have a picture of me in my Cubbies uniform. I did it all. Okay, missions trips, um, um, short term missions, long term missions, help plant churches, the whole nine. My parents are really amazing people. They got saved later on in life and kind of went from one extreme to the other, which the older I get now that I have kids, you know, I, I have more empathy for it now than I did maybe even a couple of years ago. So I understand, you know, leaving, you know, my, my dad's family was, um, you know, just a lot of alcohol abuse and stuff. So I can, I understand why he went from that to, you know, this fundamentalism, if you will. So I grew up that way. I grew up on a steady diet of talk radio. Uh, my dad worked in blue collar. He owned his own business. And, and my homeschool field trips were going to work with him. So it'd be Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity. I mean, Mike, Michael Savage, Mark. I can name them all. I grew up on a steady diet of that. So I say that because, you know, I am someone who was fully inoculated in, in the culture and believed it. I had, I remember, <laughs> this is silly now, but as like a teenager, I remember almost being jealous that I didn't have some radical testimony of like, you know, and then I fell away from the faith and like had sex all the time and did drugs and then God saved me in some moment. That was not my story. I was the good kid. My wife and I saved ourselves for marriage. I mean, we did it all the right way. So I, I would say I've always been and still am very committed to Jesus. Um, but through, I think just over time, because I took my faith so seriously, it eventually led me out of the basement I was brought up in, frankly, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I can keep going if you want me to. I don't know. I don't want to talk too much here, but I, I can I can unpack more of that if you want. <laughs> no, you're good, man. I um, I I like the the language that you use, uh, use about like the like in the basement and then kind of coming out into this larger picture. Uh, Greg has talked about it before, like a similar metaphor where like, you know, you're kind of in this cave and are told it's like the whole shebang, but then you step outside. And what do you say, Greg, like you find the Taj Mahal and like, right, that... you're, you're living in a freaking cardboard box and <laughs> right. then they're telling you it's everything. And then you, you, you move out into the Taj Mahal or you go from this cave into the, you, you see the, the mountains and the sun and the blue sky and they're yelling at you from the cave saying, get, get back in here. This is all of life. And, and, and <laughs> right. if you go out there, it's hell and damnation uh, yeah. and yeah. apostasy and just recognizing it, it takes a lot of courage uh, to make that shift. It takes a lot of courage when you're in inoculated in a culture that says this is the whole world and everything outside is the devil's territory. Uh, it is the fallen world. And in fact, if you leave this, you're going to uh, not only leave God, you could possibly go to hell. And on a primal level, 
uh, we are wired for belonging. We're mammals. We are uh, pack creatures. And if you begin to question that, that you're going to be rejected from your community. So in your own journey, what led you from that radical inoculation? And from your story, I would say that's radical inoculation uh, within that context. What what were some of the variables uh, in your story that led you to begin to question, open to possibilities and and be even willing to experience profound rejection from your home? Well, you know, like like many people's stories, it's complicated, but I would say like some of the big threads. Um, when I was 18, I was part of this like young adults group that wasn't a part of any church. We were just kind of our own thing. There's probably about 45 of us actually. And we were like really radical, like just committed to like, you know, studying the Bible and like we, we, we ran our own like home church services every Sunday. And and these were some of my best friends. I mean, we we were doing truly like life together, right? Because we're 18, the, the the scales of maximal freedom with minimal responsibility have tipped in the favor of, of freedom. So we're hanging out all the time. We're, you know, doing all the stuff that that, that teenagers do, only we're, we're like radical Christians. Now, I, you know, it's weird because I grew up in, in a John MacArthur theology. Then, thanks to me being a pretty proficient drummer, ended up in more charismatic spaces because they were more op open to a drummer playing. So I kind of like was in between <laughs> primal, two different worlds. Primal. I mean, I, I would go to my parents' fundamentalist Baptist church at, at 17 or 18 or even 20 and and then go to my go to that small group that was way more you know Misty Edwards Kim Walker Bethel kind of vibe in as far as like interaction with the spirit and then I play drums at at someone's youth group when you know they're knocking kids over so I I'm kind of in like all of these different spaces at one time and so one of the things about, about that was um, that small group they we were allowed to really examine and ask questions as best as we knew how for being fundamentalists, so to speak, you know, and I, I don't mean fundamentalists in the sense of even like conservative politically, not, not that, but just, we were very devoted to like, what's the true gospel, right? Like what's the, and, and what, what does the Bible really say? It was that kind of mentality. And one of the questions I got passionate about asking quickly was, well, what is church? Like, what is church really? You know, like, what, what does it mean to be the church? So that was really the first question question. And then I'm with like 30 people who are like, yeah, what is the church? And then we have our own group. So we're able to experiment with different formats, right? So, so all of a sudden we go from like, um, a team leadership model to like, maybe anyone can be a leader at, at, at any given time. And we're experimenting with just, with just different ways of being Christian and, and how the gathering happens at the same time. I'm reading kind of simultaneously. I'm reading pagan Christianity by Frank Viola, which if you don't know, that book is like, it's pretty much Frank's a house church guy. He's like, hey, man, our modern church is all from pagan culture. Abandon it and go to the house church model. So I'm reading that. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, the cathedral, it's, it's from Gothic architecture. It's not the true gospel. Get rid of it. So I'm like radicalizing that way. I'm also reading Shane Claiborne's Irresistible Revolution. And for the first time, I'm like, huh, like, you know, yeah, Wall Street, money. Again, I'm like, this is interesting. Like, yeah, the gospel might be, might be, you know, bigger than just don't go to hell. But again, I'm still very fundamentalist. And then I'm also listening to Paul Washer sermons at the same damn time. So Paul Washer, for those of you who don't know, is like a heavy duty, like he's reformed past MacArthur. I think, you know, and so I'm listening to Paul Washer sermons like, am I really a Christian? Am I going to go to hell one day? So I, I've always been a curious person 
about my faith. I, you know, maybe to put it in like in 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 a, in a more positive light, I just took the words of my pastor seriously, right? Don't trust me. Examine the scriptures for yourself. Don't trust me. You know, like do the do the hard work. So I did. So that was maybe the first we can call it level. Maybe digging that foundation of what would become deconstruction. So all that's happening through my twenties. Um, I'm I'm pretty at this point. I'm pretty outspoken about about how the church is is shitty. Although I wouldn't say it that way. I would say it's crappy. You know, mega church culture is problematic. Uh, we have to get back to the true church. You know, the whole light show thing isn't biblical. I'm very much radical in that way. Um, I'm posting this on Facebook. My friends don't understand. I'm getting called Mr. Controversial on Facebook. I'm like 23. Okay, this is before any of this happened. Then I start podcasting with some friends. Again, just kind of exploring what I thought was the Christian tradition, but really exploring more parts of the basement. So now I'm, I'm really feeling around here, right? Like, oh, we got some charismatics. We got this. We got that. And then in 2016, the Trump thing happens. And for me, I'll never forget just thinking, and again, I'm firmly seated in evangelical spaces. I've helped plant churches. I'm, le- I'm playing. I, I, I get decently well-known in my own area as being a good drummer. So I'm playing at all different churches, filling in. I'm in it, man. I know the pastors. I know all those people. And I'm thinking, like, I don't get this Trump thing. Like, the people who raised me as a kid teaching me about, about sexual purity and how, you know, you don't masturbate. You don't look at porn, save yourself for marriage, are calling me a bad Christian because I'm calling out that Trump was on the cover of Playboy and you know is 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 bragging about sexually assaulting women. I'm the wrong one here. Like again, like you told me to live this life. I took it all the way, right? And now you're telling me that I'm crazy for saying the guy you want me to vote for is really problematic as as an evangelical. So I I truly could not fathom like how this was happening in my tradition. And, and the language I would say now is I, it was really a, a, a case of, I thought because we shared the same beliefs, we shared the same values, but ultimately we, we really didn't. Like I just assumed like, oh yeah, we have these beliefs about evangelicalism in the Bible and inerrancy and you know all the stuff. Therefore, like, of course this is problematic, right? Because the sexual ethic you taught me does not fit here, and we're radical, and we wanna we wanna live a life of you know whatever piety and everything. And all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 no. Trump is he's doing good stuff. We we need a commander in chief, not a pastor in chief. So I would say the Trump thing was one of the big moments of like something something is not right here like something is way wrong and then of course as 2016 turned to 2018 2020 i'm watching the lynching of ahmaud arbery i'm I'm seeing george floyd i'm watching pastors i know sharing candace owens talking points and again i'm still very conservative theologically i'm like guys this is like 101 love your neighbor pray for your enemies the fruits of the spirit this is none of that right and then i would say the final layer that really pushed me to think about you know new evangelicals was covid was the response by a lot of pastors my my own church at the time was super good they really they shut down they were really aware i, I loved that about them they were wonderful but i'm watching again Sean Foy all these churches just totally you know, mask, uh, you know, uh, what, what, what was the big thing? Um, you know, faith over fear. And, you know, um, and I'm watching, again, pastors I know sharing Plandemic on YouTube, like, like the, the conspiratorial YouTube video going around that, that this whole thing was planned. I'm like, what is going on? What is happening? So that, I think all of those things eventually got me to where I was. I started New Evangelicals, started that, I, then I discovered deconstruction after I started the account. Again, didn't know the word. And then within four months of starting the account, my senior pastor 
Spencer sat me down and said, Hey man, we love you, which is never a good sign, but you know, we can't have someone saying what you're saying online. Um, and also being a volunteer drummer at this church. So you either have to stop volunteering as a drummer for the past six years, uh, or you have to stop doing your work online. And by that time, it was clear that I I struck at least some kind of chord uh, on Instagram. And, you know, I said, well, I, I have to leave. So essentially in one conversation, my entire faith community of six years, like just evaporated minus a few people. That's a whole other like hour long episode to unpack all the trauma there. But that was, I could honestly say one of the most uh, hurtful times in my entire life. Like I've had a pretty smooth life. I never had a lot of church trauma. That moment for me was like, it was uh, a watershed you know, moment that put, put, put that put me back in therapy, honestly. So that's kind of, I know that's, that's kind of a longer story, but yes, but that's kind of how I got to where I am now. And that's why I say I'm still very much committed to Jesus. Like nothing has changed in my view. You know, I feel like the, my, like, like, like the spaces I grew up in have moved. Yeah. I've maybe moved more in a direction too, but again, I, th- I think I'm, I'm trying to be more consistent <laughs> with the teachings of Jesus, damn it. You know, and uh, I just don't find that the evangelical culture I was raised in, ultimately they sold themselves out for power, you know, and we'll get into that, you know, for political power and, and influence and Christian nationalism. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing, dude. And, um, I, I mean, I've said it on the sh- show a million times, but, um, I really like this line that, uh, Rob Bell has offered basically this idea that like, once you go deep enough in your story, other people can, you know, the, the idea is if you, if you're willing to go deep enough into your own story, that other people can find themselves there too. And so like by you sharing, um, I was just resonating with a lot of what you were saying, because I remember for me too, my whole thing was like, y'all are telling me to take this really seriously. And so I did that and it led me to where I am now. Right. And um, you recently put out an Instagram video that I thought was, uh, was awesome. Um, where I forget who the pastor was, but he was basically calling out people that are deconstructing and saying that they like didn't ever really love Jesus. They never were discipled properly or whatever. And you kind of made this counterpoint, which I think resonates with my experience. It sounds like it resonates with yours. I know it resonates with Greg's experience. They're like, no, like we were the ones I have like, look at all these freaking books there's right three three more shelves off screen that you can't see that look like this right i like i was super engaged i did all the reading i led small groups i was a freaking pastor i got ordained i did all of the things and it right. led me to this place so i just i appreciate you being willing to share that experience because it kind of goes against some of the um rhetoric that gets thrown around sometimes saying that like oh well these People, you know, Tim, he was never really a Christian. He didn't actually care and whatever. So, Well, that's why I'm so passionate about it because I see what those pastors say. I see when Matt Chandler says that we did it because we're trying to be sexy or, you know, when when TGC posts an article that says that we just want street cred. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking about? And ultimately what I've discovered is that evangelicals have gatekeepers that need to keep people in that basement. And so, and so they are the filters between the world and what's actually happening in their congregations. So what happens is Matt Chandler will say deconstruction is, you know, sexy or TGC says 
is we're just doing it for street credits or so, or so we can send more. And then its followers believe that narrative. And now all of a sudden me, because I, I, I espouse more quote unquote liberal views, whatever, whatever, that, whatever that, that even means. Now I'm not a true Christian because they heard Matt Chandler tell their audience that, you know, deconstructors uh, don't really know the Bible. It's like, it's just, it's total propaganda, but it's, it's believed by millions. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the process of the journey. Like for me, I was a, I went to reform theological seminary. I was a PCA pastor. Uh, I was a five point Calvinist. Same. Um, yeah. Nice. Right. It was, yeah. it's a very comforting, comforting yes. system. I'm predestined. You're burning. Not my problem. And it's a very, it's a very angry, fearful, but Jesus, you know, yeah. if you're on the end, you're in, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I think, and again, and we t- one of the things that we say, Josh and I talk about all the time, is so, so much is paradigm, right? That everything is our perspective and lens on life. And our paradigms are not predominantly rational. Uh, they're primal. They are born out of our hunger for belonging, uh, born out of our hunger for a sense of security, uh, for a sense of power and identity that we are beloved. And we're willing. That's why so much of the debate when people are trying to uh, like what you were just describing, when you're trying to engage with someone within a particular context, you can rationally explore the history of the evolution of particular doctrines or perspectives and look at it uh, through how we went from the early church to uh, medieval times to the Reformation to uh, Western perspectives. And it means nothing. It's water off a duck's back because it really has nothing to do with rational thought. Uh, it, it's it's about fear. It's about longing. It's about belonging. Even if that is, I don't want to go to hell, or if I don't want to be rejected by my community. Um, yeah. And so, but, and and so, what Josh and I always talk about too is kind of until your need for an internal sense of resonance uh, transcends your need for inclusion that you'll never actually become your fullest expression. Uh, Because I think, I know for me, I remained in the PCA. I remained in these conservative evangelical contexts for many, many years because they were my community. I didn't want to be rejected, but it was also paying my salary. I had three kids, two of them in private school. And if I acknowledged that I had changed my perspective on the ordination of women, uh, let alone rejecting Calvinism, uh, or let alone wrestling with inerrancy uh, or LGBTQ, that I was going to lose my salary. I was going to lose my community. I'd lose it all. And ultimately, I got to the point where my need for being internally authentic transcended my need for all of those things. So I left. Uh, but just acknowledging that's what we're wrestling with. Yes. Uh, this is th- this is not a theological debate. This is not a philosophical debate. This right. is a primal uh issue of belonging and 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 need and hunger and 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 until we acknowledge all of that then we're just it's kind of like when a couple is pissed off at each other after many years of a lot of repressed anger and one of them says pass the salt and the other one says here's your fucking salt it has nothing to do with the salt right uh there's so much subtext and so so many times when we engage in these conversations we're saying pass the salt and it's not about the salt. Yeah. Uh, there's so much more there. And what you just described was what's underneath the surface. What you just described in your own passion, your own journey, your own story was it's not about the salt. It's not about uh, a theological perspective or creedal stance. Uh, you're describing right. uh, the the evolution of your particular perspective, heart, and journey through and and already I'm the the loss you experienced from your your community of six years uh, for you just authentically being yourself online 
and that you were were ultimately it was a uh, choice. You know, stop being your authentic self, or you can stay. And right. at that point, you said, "I've got to be myself." Right. I, I, and and I'll and I'll take the deep, profound loss, and that's a grief, and that's what you're processing, um, and still processing. That's pretty fresh, man. I mean, that's not that long ago. Yeah, it's about uh, I don't know. It's it'll be two years in April. You know, it's gotten a lot better. The the there's a lot more to it. I I was really all in at that church. I was very I was very core to the worship team there. I was core to other parts of it. I was I was core to. They started another like ministry that was a multi church worship night that I kind of I helped kind of blow up to be a big deal in our area. And I'm I'm a professional drummer. I still play professionally. So you know I'm nerding out on the on the tech and on on the in ears and on the good. I mean we're playing at a very high level. Um, you know, I mean, even today, it, it, for those of you who might know who I'm talking about, their live stream is incredible. Like, they do really great work. And it was just, it was, it was one of those moments where I realized, like you said, like, oh, I can make room for you. I mean, I don't talk about my views at the church. I don't, I don't critique the pastor's teachings because their friendships transcend the beliefs. But for you, the beliefs transcend the relationships. And that's when I realized that ultimately as a volunteer, I was just kind of a means to an end for them. And then once I no longer fit in the in the, in that belief category, which by the way, wasn't even like, hey, I deny the resurrection. <laughs> it was like, right. hey, can we maybe think about queer inclusion? Maybe think about it. I wasn't even like that radical yet, you know? And for them, it was like, sorry, nope, can't do it. I mean, my senior pastor, when I when the whole Jerry Falwell stuff came out, like originally by, by Reuters, I shared the article on my Facebook. My pastor called it gossip, and I was brought into the office like that week. And it's like it's like that kind of stuff. Where I'm like, are you kidding me? Like this dude is watching his wife bang other dudes, and we have like actual evidence of that, and you're calling it gossip instead of accountability? Like what the hell? So you know, I, I just think like it was really painful. It was it was painful losing those relationships it was painful losing the other musicians that i knew throughout the other other churches that we worked with because we were all really close because of that parachurch worship ministry to have it all evaporate and then watch everything go on without skipping a beat uh i was like well i guess i wasn't that vital that's how it made me feel at the time and also like you know i'm a type six on the enneagram which you know for me is loyal loyalty relational loyalty and so for me it was just like wow i you know six years um i got me pretty much nowhere, like like almost overnight, besides four people that we still talk to who are, we consider truly still good friends who were with us through the whole thing at that church. Um, you know, the other 45 people, whatever it was, like they they just don't exist anymore. So I, I've worked through a lot of the anger side of it. I've grieved it. And now there's kind of a scar forming. So it's still there, it will always be there, but it's not nearly as tender. You know, I can think about it without like getting really angry or or feeling incredibly hurt or frustrated. Uh, but you know, it, 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 it is what it is, but I had to keep going. Like when, when you're getting DM after DM of, Hey man, like me too. Hey, um, you know, I I was in the closet for ten years. I came out to my youth pastor. He called me an abomination, and, and I just found your account. I'm like, you know, I'm, you're saving my faith in a way. It's like, how can I say no to that? Like, how could I say sorry? Uh, I think I think you playing drums at, at this church over here uh, because I like playing drums. You know, at, at this level, like it, even though it was a hard decision, it was also a very easy decision. You know what I mean? Where it was like, well, no, like I, I have to keep going. And honestly, looking back now, we're a nonprofit. I do this work full time. I, I'm super grateful that I, I made that decision because this work is, is, is 
infinitely more rewarding. And now I play in a professional cover band, so I get hired to play to drunk people to play in sync. So I'm not wrestling with like, <laughs> oh, is this too showy? What's the real heart here? Is it the you know, no more wrestling of like that tension of but the lights, but like the heart of worship. It's just yeah, I'll play in sync. You're drunk, no damn problem. So it's actually a great release for me now to play that on the weekends where no one knows what deconstruction is. No one knows what purity culture is. I'm just a drummer playing in the band and having a great fucking time. Bye, 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 bye. Amen to yeah. that. You you named three things that got me really excited. One, um, I like had a like body response where I was like, Oh, like relaxed because you said something that like I have felt and said before, but I hadn't heard it articulated the way that you did, which was basically this idea where in my own experience, I felt like I had room in my theology for my conservative friends, but they didn't have room for me in theirs. And so I was then booted out and like you described that. And I was like, oh my goodness, like not relieved because it's like, you know, oh, that's such a good thing that happened to you, but like relieved because it's like, okay, I feel seen. Like that was so thanks for sharing that. Um, that's huge. And I think my intuition tells me that's probably if it resonates with both of us, then probably that's true for a lot of people. Um, and I and that's difficult. That's really hard. I I mean, I had countless nights talking to my wife where I'm like, I don't understand, like in my theology, they're still fine. Like I'm not telling them they're not Christians or that they don't fit or that they suck or whatever, but they're right. saying that to me. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I feel you on that. Um, the other one was uh, what you had just said, um, I think is fun because when I stopped, so, you know, a little bit about my story, but I, I was a pastor um, and then I became a brewer. There's a lot more to it, but I was a pastor for a long time. Now I brew beer. And when I got into the brewing beer space and I started as a bartender, um, having conversations with, um, you know, for lack of a better term, secular people um, and just kind of hearing their stories and their perspectives, it was really interesting because they didn't, like you said, they didn't care about deconstruction or, you know, the same, some of the same kind of questions that I thought was like the whole world to me at the time. And they were just, they were just kind of like, yeah, like women are people and they are equal and they should matter too. Like, of course. And like, yeah, like gay people are cool. Like this bartender, they're gay. And like, what's wrong? You know what I mean? So it was like, it was this weird shift where it was like, I got outside of the bubble that I was in and then realized that like, whoa, a lot of the stuff that I was wrestling with and spending so much time and energy and effort and that the church was spending time, energy, money, all of that stuff wrestling with or, you know, whatever was for a lot of people outside of the church, which was, Hey, our target audience, right. They don't give a fuck because they're like, yes, of course. Uh, So that was, that's an interesting thing. And then finally, I just want to just draw attention to a point that has been made uh, between you and also Greg, um, with especially like the whole Matt Chandler, like, oh, like deconstruction or whatever is sexy. Um, All three of us here have lost something profound by trying to be faithful to this person, Jesus. Like for me, I lost the salary. I lost all my benefits. Like, uh, you know what I mean? 
Um, I have a good buddy who um, I've talked about plenty of times on the show. I won't say his name one, cause I don't want to inflate his ego Two because I just <laughs> want to protect him. Um, but he'll know who I'm talking about, but he is a PhD Bible scholar in hermeneutics trained at a conservative seminary and he lost everything all because of a stupid question that like doesn't even really matter <laughs> it was like uh do you affirm or like a, uh do you affirm historic adam and eve and he was like i can affirm that but that's not what the text is doing because i'm a bible scholar and i'll tell you that's not what the text is doing theologically i'll affirm it lost everything mm. so like it's not sexy because there's a <laughs> real cost there like a deep profound cost you're losing community loved ones like I get it. Money, like real things. And so I just, I wanted to highlight all three of those because I think they're so important. Well, it is kind of ironic that, you know, someone like Matt Chandler makes that comment while he's preaching to thousands of people in a mega church, you know, fully comfortable financially, um, you know, is the face of the Axe, what is it, 29 Network. You know, I'm just saying, like, if anyone has the sexy lifestyle, like, it's someone like Matt Chandler, who's a mega church superstar and author, uh, not the person podcasting in his fucking attic. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> running a, a nonprofit that can barely make ends meet every every month and trying to try not to compromise the value of, like, what we're doing, by all, but also not being you know, shameless enough to ask for donations. You know, like that's not very sexy, Matt. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> right. That's it. it. It is costly. And, and I definitely think, you know, for, for me, uh, when I was a PCA pastor, I had my, again, salary benefits community and to let that go. It, it, it reminded me, I, I remember thinking I, I was one of my last sermons at my PCA church. Uh, it was the, the, the blind man at the gate, you know, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the man who'd been um, uh, disabled for decades uh, at the gate. And, and, and it was a pool Bethsaida and, uh, and Jesus went to him and asked him and he said, uh, do you want to be made well? And I thought, what an interesting question you would have, of course, who would want to be made well, but this guy's for decades, his whole life had been in this space and to experience a healing would be costly. He didn't know what he'd do once he was, you know, able to work or move. What would his community? What would his life be? I mean, it would be a radical shift of everything. And and I remember, to me, it was, uh, you know, he said, "Do you want to be made well?" And then later, come and follow me. And to me, that's the dynamic. To me, it was a space of terror that I was letting go of my whole community. Uh, everything that I knew was secure. But to me, it was Jesus inviting me come and follow me. You know, do you know, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And of course, to everyone that I'd been with, they were saying you're an apostate. Uh, and, but to me it was, how do I actually follow God in the way of Jesus, uh, authentically? And that's the journey. And so, and so naming that the three of us are in this space, clearly all in a continual growth pattern. And what I've learned about myself, I'm 50 years old, as Josh pointed out earlier, because of my button down and sweater, but um, instead of my t-shirt, but uh, I know what I believe now in probably a year or two will be very different. Uh, and, and it's constantly growing, shifting and evolving. Um, so we're just naming that uh, and we're all in process, but, but Tim, what would you describe with, in your current perspective, uh, like if, if with your voice, with your platform, with your heart, 
what do you feel like is is the most poignant uh issue right now that I, I guess you could go either way either that you would like to address uh evangelicals or ex-evangelicals or that you feel like is what our culture is facing that needs our attention in a fresh way just kind of that's that's a big uh swath of territory but what would you kind of describe as an issue that your heart when you hear it just beats like crazy two words christian nationalism I mean that that is that is that is the thing, N not without no doubt. It, it because it's the root of so many problems, both inside evangelicalism and outside of evangelicalism. I mean, there's just no way around that. I'm not sure if you want me to start preaching because I easily can on this topic. But my God, if people are not aware of Christian nationalism and what's going on in in those spaces and in conservative evangelical spaces right now. I mean, you better wake the hell up because it, it threatens, legitimately threatens democracy. Like, no, no joke, it, it it threatens the very fabric of who or whatever the hell America is. With all its faults and problems, which we all know we have so many of them, you know, life is a million times worse under the rule of Christian nationalists. So I would say that that would be it. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that would be a, a a fun topic kind of to unpack. It's something that we haven't talked about on this podcast since it was called like Rethinking Faith, however many years. Or no, it's called, sorry, it's currently called Rethinking Faith. Since it was called Theology Doesn't Suck, uh, which is its initial uh, title way back when, when it started. Um, but Christian nationalism for me, I remember was something that started piquing my interest when I was in college. I went to uh, Messiah College. I don't know if you're familiar, yep. but um, they have some like Anabaptist kind of roots and ties out of like the uh, they were kind of connected to the Brethren in Christ uh, yep. church, although they weren't technically any kind of denomination, but they had that. Um, and within that framework, there's like a lot of <laughs> like, hey, Christian nationalism sucks. Um, and that was actually something that me and my reformed buddy, Andy, who started this podcast with me, we kind of had in common where we were both, we had different reasons for it, yep. but we were both kind of like, Hey, Christian nationalism is not a great thing. And, yes. um, so we, I want to dive into Christian nationalism, maybe, uh, just get your take. Like, you know, when you say Christian nationalism, what you mean by that? And then we can just kind of unpack this topic. But I do want to say from the start, what I think is interesting is I think that there's an interesting bridge that could be built. I think one group would be willing. I'm not so sure about the other. But between more progressive Christians and some of the more reformed community, because for whatever reason, within reformed thought circles, it's like, fuck Christian nationalism. They wouldn't. Well, maybe they'd say it that way if they had a beard and were like drinking IPAs. Um, which is a lot of them. But I think there's an interesting connection there that like maybe the progressives and the reformed guys could kind of come together about. But like, yeah, yeah. I think it's there. There is a bridge there, but it's quickly eroding. Um, I'm watching yeah, more and more people <laughs> who um, are reformed in that way quickly becoming either quiet um, or just becoming part of it. I mean, one example of this is a guy named Kosti Hinn um, who runs oh, the shepherd's no. house. And, too? Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was someone who, who was tweeting, you know, like the gospel is all that matters. We can't get, you know, he was kind of saying his own way. We can't get political. Then he critiqued Doug Wilson and said, Doug is not a good person. And his whole base 
like was like, what are you talking about? They gave him hell. He ended up reconciling with Doug Wilson and then shared a screenshot of him at uh, Kerry Lake's uh, headquarters during the Arizona election with uh, freaking Turning Point USA. This is Benny. This is Costi Hen. Okay, uh, with a guy named Johnny Root, who's who's like a commentator for Turning Point USA. So I think he's a great example of that perspective, right? Like, hey, just preach the gospel. It's not cancel culture. It's not woke, but it's also not Christian nationalism. Now, just kind of saying, well, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So I, I, I'm with you on that, and I think that there are certainly a, a few holdouts. But it seems like every day I see less and less of that happening. But to your point, what is Christian nationalism? Luckily, I have a PDF that describes it. Because it's very important to have definitions because one thing we have to understand, and if I, by the way, if I start preaching, just tell me to shut up. We can edit this part out. Nah, but preach, we have brother. to realize that right-wing media and conservative evangelicalism is really effective at taking terms, redefining them, and then fighting against those new terms. Like the term woke, for example, comes from the black community. It's been hijacked by right-wing media and has become this whole other conversation. Same thing with critical race theory. CRT was not in our vocabulary five years ago, even though it existed as a school of legal thought in colleges since the 80s, okay? So we have to be aware that Christian nationalism, you might hear from certain people like what it is. It's important to understand what we're actually talking about. So here's like here's the paragraph I like to say. Christian nationalism is... The cultural framework that idealizes and advocates the fusion of Christianity with American civic life. It contends that America has been and should always be a distinctively Christian nation from top to bottom in its self-identity, interpretation of its own history, sacred symbols, cherished values, and public policies, and the aims to keep it that way. But the Christian and Christian nationalism is more about identity than religion. It carries with it assumptions about nativism, white supremacy, authoritarianism, patriarchy, and militarism. That's a very well-spelled-out definition of what we're talking about here. So in layman's terms, Christian nationalism says America has always been a Christian nation, and by Christian what they mean is usually steeped in white supremacy, fundamentalism, and this concept that we as as this particular sect of Christians, not all Christians, you know, not people like us for sure, but but the true Christians who are them, they have a right to rule America by taking dominion of the country. This is called dominionism. You can trace it back to R.J. Rush Judy in the 60s. Uh, you, could, you might have also heard of the Seven Mountain Mandate. That's more in charismatic circles. Same idea. So it's a very much a radicalized form of Christian thinking that says we have a right to America. It is our country. It's our nation. And we must fight the, the evil forces. Usually it's this, the quote-unquote secularists or the progressives or the liberals from trying to destroy, quote-unquote, the country, a.k.a. you know, really just equitable rights for all, not just not just Christian privilege. That's what Christian nationalism is. So it's interesting. So, so in my own journey, now I'm an Episcopal priest, uh, which I, it's a very, some would say a progressive denomination. I would say that I'm probably on the prow of the ship, even of that uh, particular uh, uh, denomination. Uh, so I'm kind of outside of the world uh, of Christian nationalism. Sometimes it, it just is more me like looking at Fox News and thinking, oh my God, this is, exists. This is real. Uh uh, but but what I find in what you're describing is uh, clearly a powerful force uh, in our country. And as we described earlier, the paradigms uh, lens on life is not predominantly rational, right? Uh, but it's but it's primal. 
it's about belonging. It's about fear. Uh, I'd be curious, Tim, like there's, there's a very inherent, like for me, and it's, it's always easy to do. Like when, when I, when I hear Fox news or Christian nationalists or, uh, fundamentalists speak, I'm just like, Oh my Jesus Christ. Someone believes this. Uh, how is this, how is this happening? Uh, but my work is to not other the other, right? It's, it's not to dehumanize the other. So within that perspective, in, in your experience, because you're, you know, two years out of a community that actually was probably embracing some of that and probably uh, beyond that, as you, as you walk this out with compassion, what would you say is the root structure? Like what's the root structure of Christian nationalism? I mean, obviously there's, I'm not, I'm not describing the, the, to me, even white supremacy uh, is born out of fear. It is born out of profound insecurity and terror uh it 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 is it, it's born out of someone that does not know who they are uh and is trying to other the other for some sense of uh false security in in your experience with christian nationalism what do you feel like is the root structure of that fundamentalism well i i think i mean i think fear you know i i think i think everything you just said is applicable here to the foundations i think it manifests itself through supremacy uh through power and control through uh betraying one's what they call core values for someone like trump who will give them the power that they want to maintain the culture how they think it should be, be maintained because if not god's judgment right or because if not the people i don't understand are going to take over and i'll be i'll be marginalized so I think that is the key, and, and it, it thrives on misinformation. It thrives on a right-wing media network that's incredibly influential and tied into evangelical spaces. I mean, Charlie Kirk, for example, who runs Turning Point USA, he tours evangelical churches. Like, they invite him to speak on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights. I mean, mega churches, Dream City Church, 25,000 people strong, is like the headquarters for where they launched, like, uh, um, um, Turning Point Faith, pretty much, which is like the uh, which is Charlie Kirk's faith-based organization targeting churches. They're starting a, 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 um, a private school at Dream City in partnership with Turning Point that, that, is, that is devoted to stopping wokeism and a teaching, quote-unquote, true American history. You can look it up. Like, I'm not making this shit up. Like, they say it. They say it in their description. You know, So, so we have to understand that there is um, – they're not just handshaking. They're bedfellows. You know, right wing media, that whole world is is in bed having sex with evangelical churches. Like there's no other way to put it. You know, and it's consensual, like for the record. It's consensual, <laughs> you know, sex. And they're loving it. Um and, and plenty I think of we have different to, positions. Plenty. <laughs> you know, we, we have to be so we I think that that's the key. I also think though that we have to be aware, and you know, me as a white man. Um, I woke up real late to this stuff, right? But people in, in the black community and BIPOC communities have been sounding this alarm for a long time. And I also think we have to realize, too, that Christian nationalism might not have been called this 25, 30, 40, 50, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, but it very much is a consistent theme in American culture. I mean, yeah. in I think it was, uh, what's the date? 1930-something? Uh, th- There's actually a documentary on this called A Night at the Garden. Um, if, you, if you haven't seen it, it's like it's a seven minute long um, documentary uh, in 1939. Madison Square Garden had a Nazi rally 
a legitimate oh, saw, yeah, Nazi right, rally. Dude, yeah, I, I saw that. Unbelievable. Like legitimate Nazi. Like literally. And they used swastikas and everything. Oh, it was George Washington, like a picture of him with two swastikas. Uh, yeah, I saw like, that. I swear to God. Madison Square Garden. Right. So we have to be aware that, like, you know, it's not like this is – where did this come from? Well, it's been there for a long time. Now, maybe Trump, you know, took the lid off it and really emboldened, what you know, white supremacists and, you know, the KKK. I mean, David Duke is praising Trump, you know, former Grand Wizard of the KKK. So certainly there's an emboldenment for sure. But to make it seem like this came out of nowhere, I mean, Jerry Falwell, moral majority, was birthed out of segregation. You know, Bob Jones University sued the federal government to keep their schools segregated. (laughs) The federal government told Bob Jones University, if you don't desegregate, you are going to lose your tax exempt status. Bob Jones says, you're violating my religious freedom. I'm suing you up to the Supreme Court because it's our religious belief that the races are mandated to stay separate. You can listen to a Bob Jones sermon in 1960 on this. You look at the language, it's fundamentalist language. Like it yeah. is, it is stuff we grew up with, you know, those who wouldn't see, you know, like all you have to do is insert queer for black and you have, you have, you have the same rhetoric. The Bible's clear, you know, we, we can't, we can't capitulate to culture. These are just liberals trying to turn biblical truth around. That's Bob Jones arguing for why segregation is mandatory. So once you start reading a little bit, I mean, listen, I'm a former homeschooled, some college under, I have no formal, like, I'm not, I'm not academic, okay? But if you can read a couple of books, you realize real quickly, oh, oh, a lot of the same language, just new targets, just new targets. So this is not new, but it is certainly, um, it has been emboldened for sure. And it's only getting worse. I mean, as of this recording, we're looking at Kanye West praising Hitler on Alex Jones's show. Okay, Which as is of today. Fucking crazy. I saw that Bonkers. like two hours Bonkers. ago. Bonkers. Oh and Kanye God. sat down with Trump a week ago. Think about that connect. And there's no I've told you you're you're gonna get me preaching here, but we have to understand this. The people who platform Trump as evangelical leaders, Robert Jeffries, Franklin Graham, Jerry Falwell Jr., there hasn't been a fucking peep from these people. Okay. As of this recording, well, you know, in, in real time. Trump a week ago sat down with Kanye West and fucking Nick Fuentes, who is an openly Holocaust-denying, anti-Semitic, white supremacist nationalist. Like, this is – it's not even – you can look up his stuff on Right Wing Watch. It is that blatant. He says it. He says the Jews are taking over media. We need a white America. Whites have to rise up. This is Nick Fuentes saying this. He sits down with a sitting – former sitting goddamn president, and Trump, instead of – Owning it or saying, I didn't know, and therefore he, this guy's wrong, says, I don't know who he was, and it's not my fault, and I was just trying to help out Kanye, and everything's fine. I mean, no ownership, right? And you're like, this is this is wild. This right. is there were good There were good people crazy. on both sides. Exactly. I mean, this is a new level, right? And I, I think what we're starting to see is that classic example of, of the frog in the boiling water. You just turn it up slowly. I mean, where we are now compared to even six years ago, Proud Boys are our household name. Oath keepers are getting arrested for trying to overthrow the fucking federal government and getting convicted. We convicted, had a goddamn insur- Yeah, we had a goddamn insurrection because the president of the United States told everyone that the election was stolen even though it wasn't. And people with Jesus flags and Bibles go in and then they give a prayer to Jesus at the Capitol building, thanking him for taking it over. And what's even what do evangelicals do? Oh no, they're, they're they're not real Christians. No, it's not our fault. Oh no, 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 no. They no ownership, no fucking ownership. So that's why I get passionate about this because my own tradition has been complicit 
in so much of what we're seeing. And I'm afraid it's only going to get worse, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I think you, you named it well. And like one thing too, just to, you know, throw more gasoline on the fire, the largest, the largest Protestant denomination in this country is the Southern Baptist, oh, Southern Jesus Baptist, Christ. right? Right. They were founded on slavery. Totally. Like that is how it started 100%. straight up. And 100%. then for people to deny that white supremacy is baked into the evangelical culture is just insane because it's there. Like it just is. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, it is. But you know what, though? We both we all grew up in those spaces in some degree. You don't you, you're, you're, you don't know. No, like, you don't know at all. You don't, you don't know. Yeah. You just think you're always on the right side. You're always doing the right thing. You don't, you, you, I never knew that the SBC was founded on slavery until I deconstructed. Oh my, yeah. oh, that's an important <laughs> fact to leave out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was I a huge the- variable, even for me in the PCA. You know, in what in the PCA started, we broke off from uh, the larger PCUSA in the early, uh, late 60s, early 70s. And if you look at what I was taught in seminary, it was because of inerrancy, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Right. The reality is, it was started in the South, it was originally Southern Presbyterian Church, and it was about segregation. The issue was race. And that's it. We, we, we can do so much revision, but so much of the time, what we're finding is the root structure is uh, fear, racism, uh, power, control dynamics. And, and that's clearly what's still at play. Um, yeah. And so I think, Tim, so when, uh, you know, for, for the three of us, we're in the process of evolving, deconstructing, uh, reconstructing. Uh, as you, as you walk through this, as you've two years ago experienced some profound rejection from your community, chose to follow your true self instead of, uh, whore yourself for acceptance, (laughs) uh, follow your true path. Uh, what have you found as what has that been to walk that out? What kind of new community, what kind of new experience, what kind of uh, hope have you found as you've been willing to let go, not to dishonor? I mean, I do think there's authentic critique of our previous lily pads in our faith journeys, like it genuine, necessary critique of the, the context in which that were so repressive uh, and that which harmed us. But as you're evolving, as you're continuing to grow, what has given you a what's given you the courage and fortitude to walk this journey and then kind of what is the community you've found of maybe like-hearted uh seekers that have resonated with you uh, that that give you the courage to continue to podcast because what i find even as you're critiquing the critique is born of can can this is wrong and i know what's right it's not just, it's not a jaded cynicism. You're not just sitting here poking holes in the past system and saying, fuck that, and everything is dark. Your 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 passion to critique uh, the Christian nationalism is born of a hope that there's something authentically more beautiful, truer, and right. Uh, where has that led you, and, and kind of what has been your experience of a new community? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, you're right. I get passionate because I hate seeing, you know, like the way of Jesus so bastardized, right? Like it just, it gets me so, it irks me 
that people can really say, yeah, I follow Jesus and then say, I hate my enemies and I want to conquer them. I mean, this that's what Charlie Kirk pretty much says. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't understand. You know, like, what am I missing here, right? So it comes out of a passion to, to do better. Like, repentance is a gift to do better. Why aren't we practicing it? I don't understand. And, you know, we also have a, a really strict policy of not dehumanizing our opponents. Like, we don't call them names. We don't, we don't, we don't, um, you know, make fun of any of like their physical features. We don't, we don't use um, slurs. Like we just, we, we don't want to become fundamentalists all over again. And we don't want to other the other, like you said, like, it's easy to do. Right. And, and, and I should say, like, I understand why some people might like I'm, I didn't, I'm not a black person in America. You know what I mean? Like, and James Cone says at one point, you know, it, it's violence to have the boot on my neck, but if I pushed back, that's not violence, you know, it's, or, or that, mm. that, that's too much, too much violence. So I understand that. So I, I certainly admit that, you know, my experience is not everyone's, but it's important for us to recognize that, you know, like there's ways to critique people without dehumanizing them. I have found solace and hope in the people that I engage with every day. You know, I'm in Instagram DMs every single day. Even when I say I'm off, I'm still in them. I shouldn't be. But I'm like, oh, let me just check. Um, You know, we have a Facebook community of 6,000 people. And for a Facebook community, it's healthy, okay? I mean, we've all been in groups where we're like, oh, this gets real bad. But there's a really beautiful culture there, and people are really supportive. Also, I have a few close friends, some of which are much more conservative than I am, who have made space. And like, there are some of my closest friends, people that they get it. Like, like you said, they are conservative, but don't get the Trump thing. And I'm like, like, great. Like we can work with that. You know, like they're, they're level-headed. They're, they're committed to critical thinking. They're committed to, to good faith dialogue. And also when everything went down at my church, they held space for us. Like that meant the most, like they were there for us. They let us get it all out. They approached us with curiosity. So, so there are definitely a few friends in my life who I'm just really grateful for. Um, you know, that, yeah, maybe we wouldn't agree on everything theologically, but like you said earlier, Greg, like that's not, that's, that's the, that's the salt. It's not about the salt, you know, like we could disagree on theology. We were, everyone's going to do that at some point. Uh, the Christian tradition is massive. It's 2000 years of history. Um, but it, it's that deeper sense. So I think that's really what sustains me. And also, you know, people just tell us that the work we're doing helps them feel seen. It helps them know that they're not alone. Um, and I think in a weird way I have, like, um, oh God, it's, it's going to sound so evangelical, so forgive me. But I have Drop maybe like, like a – Yeah, just like that. I have like <laughs> – I'm kind of – I have like a bent towards like that shepherd, pastor's kind of heart of just like caring about the outsider, caring about about the one who's kind of left behind, so to speak. And I just think I found like a really – I know, it's it's so – it's cringy in my I love context, it. Keep going, but, keep going. You just said left behind. Just keep you know, going, keep yeah, going. Right. You know, reckless love, that kind of thing. Um, but there, there's there's no wall I won't tear down. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, but honestly, I mean that I, – I am very driven to that, you know, and, and I want to be an accountable person. I want to be transparent with people. And I made a commitment early on when I started TNE and I realized like, oh, I might have something serious here that, that's bigger than just an Instagram account. I committed just to being as radically transparent as I can as a human online and also with everything that we do as an organization. You know, I mean, there I got invited, <laughs> this is gonna sound crazy, but I got invited by someone to go to to um, America Fest, which is Charlie Kirk's big event in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm going to it. I'm gonna go and observe and just try and soak it in. But first I had to ask the community, you know, like, hey, should I do this? And so it's that kind of stuff that I'm always kind mm -hmm. of running by the community 
because I, I want to know their feedback. If, if the majority said you shouldn't do it and here's why, I wouldn't have went. Mm. But the, almost all of them said, yeah, you need to go. Like, please go and report back, you know. But I think that helps our space be as healthy as it can. It's not perfect. Yeah. There's always ways to correct. I have to say I'm sorry sometimes. I'll say the wrong thing I wasn't even aware of. Um, but, you know, I think that that helps. That sense of like this trying to break down like this influencer thing. I hate that. You know, people see a big number next to our Instagram account. Oh, they must be so bad. Uh, I, I, you know, I have two kids. I a podcast in my attic. I take shits like everyone else. I'm just a normal <laughs> dude, you know? And like, I mean, there are days I'll go online. My hair is not combed. I don't give a shit. I'm wearing a $6 Hanes t-shirt, baby. This is all I wear. So I just think like you have, I, I had to have that kind of honesty online and not try and craft like a, a new brand, so to speak. I, that wasn't my thing. So I think that, I think that's really what sustains me as the community ultimately. Yeah. Well, Tim, I think it's uh, just to, you know, kiss your ass a little bit. I think it's, I don't know. I am very skeptical of a lot of things uh, and a lot of uh, quote unquote influencers and things like that to use the yeah. language you just did. And I've always appreciated because I started following new evangelicals like, gee, I mean, I think like from like a long time ago, I've been watching your stuff and I never got that vibe from you. So like if that's what you're trying to go for, then like kudos to you, man, because that's that's awesome. Um, and I, and that's why I've always like why, why I still follow it, too, because like there's so much there's so much stuff out there, like within the quote unquote deconstruction world. That yeah. just makes me angry because yeah. it's just like loaf hanging fruit. It's like, fuck this. It's like, okay, anybody who studied theology for two seconds can make that argument and people flock to it. Right. But it's like that it doesn't feel the same way with what you're doing. And I so I think like your genuineness and your passion and all shines through. So this is this is my pastor heart since you used it. <laughs> uh which is one of my gifts is encouragement. So I'm trying to encourage you because Thank like you keep it up. <laughs> well, I, I, I encouragement helps me honestly, uh, but you know, I just want to maybe mention one thing about that. You know, I, I appreciate that. It, it means, it means a lot, honestly. Um, you know, I think that part of, I feel what you feel with that deconstruction space sometimes, not always there are great accounts doing great work but i think when that when that explosion first happened people needed a place to vent right and like their churches said you're out of here so they said fine i'm gonna have my own space i'm gonna say whatever the fuck i want so fuck you and, and I, I was that person and the totally. reason i get so mad is because it was me <laughs> <laughs> well and, and, and i listen i think that's valid in a lot of ways like we have to be able to feel anger and express it somewhere right i get that but long term <clears throat> Anger, I believe, this is just my perspective on it, not telling anyone else how to handle their own anger. But for me, my anger, if not channeled into healthy ways to fuel me, will become bitterness. And then I'm really fucked, you know, and then, I, then I'm just uh, a cynic. Now, some people who deconstruct leave the Christian tradition completely. I respect it. I freaking get it. Okay. I get it. No shame for me. I, I wish you the best. 
we are very clear that anyone's welcome in our space, but we prioritize the folks marginalized by the evangelical church. So our content thinks about them first, right? right. And then anyone else who appreciates that is more than welcome to hop on. But we are still committed to Jesus. Like we want to go deeper or almost more radical, if you will, right? So I think that's important. The other thing I'll say about that too is, you know, my the board that oversees me, because we're a nonprofit, I'm not a voting member and they have a kill switch. Like they know if this ever becomes about Tim or some new brand, what we've done is we've, we've recreated harmful systems in the social media space. We've become a mega church digitally and that's what you can't do. So they have like, a, they have a kill switch. They know like once, if that ever happens, you know, hit that button because th th there's no, no organization is worth losing your soul over or, 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 or becoming this mega church person again. It's unhealthy in every single freaking way. You know, so I know my limits. Like I know I'm not a theologian. So why am I going to try and pretend that I have some like some deep insight when I can just call up trip four, but Hey, church, when do a real, Hey, trip, when you or, or Pete ends, right. Or whoever, Dr. Angela Parker, like, Hey, Steven Backhouse, you get in here and do this. It's not my lane, right? So I think that that helps with our longevity is I'm willing to acknowledge like, guys, you don't want my theology is speculation at this point. There's nothing concrete I can give you because it's all blown up. You know, listen to listen to Tim Mackey and the Bible Project or Pete Enns. I don't know. You know, that's just kind of how, how I roll personally. Nice. Well, dude, uh, Tim, I do think hearing – I, I think there's so many people that are wrestling so profoundly with so many of these issues. Yeah. And to, to hear, uh, first of all, I loved your contextualization of new evangelicals in kind of the historical uh, uh, perspective of that particular movement and how it's so different now and calling it back to its root structure. And you're, you're right. It, you may not win the uh, word war uh, in uh, reclaiming it, but it's a worthy uh, evolution. But all of that born out of your story, uh, your passion. Uh, and then I think, too, I, I just naming the uh, issue of white uh, nationalism and the critical nature of what we're facing uh, as a country. And, and I know that probably most of our listeners uh, are, I'm sure there's some preaching to the choir, but I also know that there's so many people that are dancing on the edge of what it looks like and i feel like as dan coke's hmm. podcast is described you have permission i think that there's a place for naming our stories and our experience and our perspective that says you can actually still love god and follow jesus and love christ with all of your heart and not be in that particular perspective. It's it's okay. There really is permission that the that that particular bandwidth is so narrow and the mm. rich historical perspective and faith experience is so much greater. We're not living in that cave. You can come out of that cave and you are still loving Jesus. You're still uh following God in the way of Jesus in its fullest expression. In fact, a much fuller expression, if I could add my two cents. And so uh, for you to uh, express your heart tonight, your story tonight, uh, your wisdom tonight, your intellect tonight, uh, what's tonight for us. Uh, just want to say uh, thank you, man. Uh, it's been a gift. It's been a real gift to have you here. Thanks for sharing your time, your energy, your heart, and your story. I think I know for uh, both Josh and I, if if our Patreons actually get to see the video feed, you'll see lots of uh, uh, hands raised, uh, hang 10 symbols, uh, Josh dancing in his uh, swirly chair, 
I don't even know what that motion is that Josh did. Uh, all of those things, but just thanks for being here, man. It's been a real gift to us and our community. Well, thank you for letting me rant. Uh, I really appreciate it. No, dude, that, that was, and, and it I was not ranting. It was not preaching. <laughs> that was just fucking genuine sharing. Thank you, it's, man. I, I, thanks for having me. It means a lot and I appreciate it. Yeah, Tim, it's been fun, man. And like, we're, I know we're not close in that, like I could walk to where you are, but it's close <laughs> in that, like I could drive there in a reasonable amount of time. So definitely. like, we'll definitely have to like hang out sometime or and this was fun man i you know we'd love to have you back especially we do these uh like patreon exclusive episodes with a uh, trip called happy hours nice. where we just kind of come on together and uh it's a little in. more loosey-goosey trip is nice and lubricated <laughs> you know what i mean um yeah. yep and uh we have some fun so like i feel like that'd be a fun space that'd be fun oh dude have tim with us and trip that'd be fun as shit oh my hit, lord hit me up anytime yeah. All right. Trip actually it. called me today. Did I tell you that? Trip no, called me today to rant about like a Christian nationalist. I, I got him in a, yes. I, I send him now. I send him stuff. I'm like, dude, here's a tweet from Matt Walsh. She's like, who's Matt Walsh? I'm like, watch this tweet. So like, what the hell is this? Now he calls me. It's great. I got him all fired up. No, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I personally am going to keep watching New Evangelicals on Instagram because <laughs> I need it. Good stuff, no, dude. I'm real, serious. Thanks, guys. Thank for you. real. For it, real. Yeah, like it, it, it means a lot. Uh, it does. It, it honestly means the world. I, 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 I don't know. Personally, it's like a humbling thing where it's like, I can't believe people actually like what I'm saying, but it means the world. I, I, I don't take it lightly. So thank you so much. It means a yeah, lot. no, it's, it's helpful, man, especially because it's like, um, I don't know. It's just, it's a voice that's like lives inside of me that I feel like you express. And I'm like, I, I'm not the one to express that. And Tim is crushing it. So thank you for, for doing that. And uh, also, like, just, I mean, we'll put all this kind of stuff in the fancy show notes and such. But if people haven't figured out that you can just go on Instagram and find the new evangelicals, my, where where might you point people so they can be sure to follow what you're sure. uh, what you're doing? <laughs> Our website. We we have a podcast that's. Uh... You know, just some has some great episodes of with a lot of scholars and theologians uh, breaking down Christian nationalism and other stuff. Uh, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, anywhere that New Evangelicals is, we pretty much are. So, excellent, good deal. Well, Tim, Thanks. thank you again so much for hanging out. And listeners, as always, thank you for uh, spending the last however long this has been with us. We appreciate it. <laughs> right and, on. Uh, Thanks, y'all. Yeah, go in peace, guys.